podcast with Nicole and John Ellen. So just a little disclaimer, um, the topics in this podcast could be considered triggering. So, mm. so feel free to pause and take what you need and always come back to your your own body, your breath, your heart, uh, walk away, stand on the grass and just know that it's okay if you had a little bit of resistance or overwhelm, but to give yourself the grace and time that you need. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Radical Awareness Podcast with Nicole and John. How are you today, Nicole? I'm pretty good, John. I'm pretty excited for this one. Mm, today we're going to be talking about a wonderful taboo topic known as death. And dying. Mm. Mm -hmm. Death and dying in the age of the Rona. The, the vid. The vid, yeah. <laughs> Old Penny. The yeah. coroner. The no, cor wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we, it's not a taboo subject in our house uh, by any sort of the imagination. In our and house, in our life. In our life, that's true. We, um, interestingly, I haven't experienced personally very close calls with death or even family members. It's been my grandparents. And so there's like this big kind of... Um, looming, looming anticipation of how am I going to handle it? Uh, more so, the grief experience rather than the death dying experience. And I think it's very important to make a big distinction, distinction yep. a big distinguishment <laughs> um, between those two things. Now they are two very different, interconnected, but very different topics. Grief, the emotional process of dealing with someone who has died, is much different to death, the functional process of departing from this life or this mm. body or this, however you want to call it. Yeah, and it's we would say it's a really important um, subject and concept to wrap our little heads around mm. because we're all going to die. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. It is inevitable. We are all going to die. Everyone you know is going to die. Everything around you that is currently living will die. I mean, you might die first before those things die, mm. but they're all going to die. Especially trees, you know, it's weird. But what's amazing is the subject is so avoided and sometimes not even uh, with much awareness that people are avoiding it. Although collectively in these times, it's very obvious that the subject is avoided because everyone's, well, locking countries down with, due to the fear of death. And at the same time, that is a from a materialistic point of view based on the idea that when we die, that's it, it's over, or worse, we um, are then judged by some some all-encompassing uh, all kind of evil judgmental godhead that's going to tell us that we've been terrible, naughty humans and put us into an eternal of hell, mm. um, which is quite terrifying. And I can see why from that point of view, you would want to avoid the topic altogether. But what's interesting and a simple way of kind of starting with this, because uh, approaching the topic of death and actually looking at it really allows us to live more fully. When you can face your own death, you can actually live in your life more, more rather than avoiding everything because you're trying to avoid the thing that you can't avoid. And without awareness, you might not even be aware that you're doing that. Mm. And yoga itself mm. could be considered 
practicing the art of dying. Mm. And a wonderful little analogy of um, a yoga practice, uh, an asana practice, going to a yoga class practice, is that you're having a little life, a little incarnation. And so you start in something like a child's pose, and you have these childlike movements. Eventually, you get to the point where you're actually standing on your own two feet, moving maybe your balancing. arms around, or maybe even balancing on one foot, yes. moving your arms around in, a, in an appropriate manner to to signal the things, the, the, the battles of life with your warrior poses, and then eventually making your way down to kind of submit, to relinquish, to Go release, and find your way into shavasana, the corpse posture, and practice the art of letting go, the art of dying, the art of actually coming to peace with stillness. So we do this, some of us, every day. If we have a regular yoga practice, we practice the art of dying, whether consciously aware of it or not. So it sits there as an opportunity to kind of shine a slightly different light or shine the light in a slightly different direction to acknowledge the fact that you are practicing dying on a regular basis. Mm. And to just, yeah, really bring more of the conscious attention to it, to notice where we struggle in our lives to let go of things. Um, so whether it's we're holding on to certain positions or ideas of who we are, or if we're holding on to our body, or if we're holding on to the people in our lives, the animals, all of these things. And in those moments, can you practice the, what, what does it feel like to let go? And before considering those bigger things like the people we love and the the things that we own and all of those those bigger things that seem more challenging to let go, it's working with it like John mentioned in a yoga practice. Can you let go of all of the, maybe the the victories and the, the small kind of failures in a practice? Can you have acceptance and release and ease in those last moments and practice this idea of, oh, I can actually soften. There is a way of doing this. And it's not just a, a, like a, an out there kind of woo-woo concept. It's like, you can physically practice this and physically feel your body start to calm down when you train the art of letting go. And I, I know for myself, I have been thinking about death since as long as I can remember as a child. So fascinated by death and dying and what the heck happens? Like, where do we go? What happens? And growing up in a very non-religious household, that, that is, you know, materialistic base and doesn't believe in anything else. It was so confusing. And then going to the church I at about age 10 or 11 through like youth groups, uh, the Presbyterian Christian Church, and all I was told repetitively was that if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in this, you know, this book, this religion, these rules, you will go to heaven. And if you do not give your life to these teachings, this building, this religion, then you will go to hell forever, which is all eternity. And I was like, okay, interesting. I'm into the idea of heaven. And I, I said, but my parents, my family, they don't believe in this stuff. And their answer to me as a, you know, 10, 11 year old was, oh, well, they're going to go to hell and burn for eternity for their sins. I'm like, 
But what exactly are their sins? Seems a bit rough. It does seem a bit rough, but hard to get on board with. I was, well, I would say lightly traumatized by the whole thing. And would basically Lightly. come home. They just threatened to murder your parents. Yeah, they did. Yeah, good times. And you know, the, and these people that, of, of course, are only um, word vomiting what they've also been told and been traumatized. And I had like youth group leaders. I mean, when I look back, they would have been anywhere between 16 and 25 years old and telling children these like horror stories, you know, which has been going on for a very long time. For the purpose of control. Yes. And so when I would go home and basically beg my parents to um, <laughs> hand their life over to Jesus, um, they weren't keen. And they would say, my mum would sit me down and beautiful, bless my mum, because she does not like talking about death or the afterlife. And it is a very challenging place for her to go. So I commend her on, on the patience of this because I was just probably quite distraught, as you can imagine. And she would always say, darling. Me and dad, we're good people. We do good things. We're not going to go to hell. We'll come to heaven with you. How beautiful, you know, but I'd go back <laughs> and be like, well, they said this. And so I kind of lived in these, these two worlds where I didn't really agree with either side. I didn't agree there was nothing beyond this life. And I didn't agree that the majority of the population was going to go to hell. So it was definitely my entry point into exploring death and just being so fascinated with it and figuring out who we are and just not really buying into the idea that God is a punisher, mm. which John's going to elaborate on this idea of punishment and our blame kind of culture that we exist in currently. Yes. So the idea that we deserve to be punished literally comes from the same perspective of the wrathful God. The, the idea that if you do something bad, you're going to be punished for more than the amount that you did the bad thing. And if we look at the mm. look at the model of hell, eternity's quite a long time, you know? <laughs> and so <laughs> if you did bad things for just one life and then you got punished for longer than a life, it seems a bit rough that uh, you get punished that much. But our our governmental structures, many of them, not in every part of the world, but our governmental structures and even our laws are based on this idea of blame and punishment. So if something goes wrong, somebody has to be blamed and that person who's to blame has to be punished for the person who was the victim to feel any sense of re release or relief or, or any sense of justice. And so... This model causes us to turn into vigilantes, to turn into mobs, to turn into us uh, versus them. assassins, to mm. turn into these people who are constantly looking for someone to blame. And it, it's a very separating way mm. um, of, of contemplating how we deal with misdemeanors, how mm. we deal with Inappropriate behavior. Yeah. yeah. And so other cultures have other ways of, of dealing with this. And we have looked at many kind of ideas of the indigenous cultures that would would bring in the offender, let's call them, and and renew to them how much the, the village or the people or their their particular 
connections, their their family group, their whanau, how much they actually appreciate them if they've been feeling unappreciated. You know, if they have spoken out, it's probably because they feel like they're not being heard. So maybe that needs to be acknowledged. If they've had choice taken away, i.e. if they've been traumatized, some people's way of coping with that is to lash out, is to try and take someone else's choices away. Mm. And so all of these things have a trickle down effect. And if we start from right from the top, I'm going to turn the blame sword in the other direction and, and, and blame God. Not that it's God's fault. It's the interpretation of a God being a punisher that causes these things to trickle down mm. to punishment. Mm. Thanks. That was great. Which creates so much fear and um, error of, of what the true, what our true nature is. Mm. And also, again, this divide and separation among people thinking that the only way is to punish and blame. And unfortunately, even if you had been the victim, even if, you know, we go to things like murder and rape and really horrible things that happen, it may seem that the person who did this, you know, going to jail and getting a really harsh consequence makes the victim feel better. But in reality, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the victim's experience. And in essence, all it does is make the person, the perpetrator feel less valued, less loved, less heard. They go to prison, they, whatever happens to them. And then they just become more angry. And at that time when they might get out, have they, have they actually come back to, to any space of love, to any kind of, um, re, what is the word? Not rehab, but retribution. No. Anyway, have they actually, you know, reflected enough to say, I don't want to be, I don't want my actions to be this way. I can mm. see who I am. Well, it's like, well, no, because they've just been punished the whole time. They've just been treated less than human. They've been dehumanized, not only by say the the prison itself or the punishment, but everybody else from due to the separation and the blame, which means they're likely to do it again. Mm. Right. And how does that soothe the victim? How does that soothe the perpetrator? How does that soothe any of us living in a structure where we just keep traumatizing people. And we're talking in this way because it relates directly to death and knowing who we actually are and knowing that we are, like we mentioned earlier on the last podcast, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And from that point of view, there is no death. There is only transition, mm. right? And whether you you know believe in reincarnation and coming back and doing other lives or just this moving on, it's like, the perception that there is this judgy, mean man in the sky who's going to, you know, judge you for all your wrong actions. Is... Lock you out of heaven and hit the slide button so yeah. that you disappear down into a dark, fiery pit of doom. Yeah, it's a very convenient lie to control a whole lot of people at one time. It works so well to keep us all scared and small and to not do anything because we don't want to be the one who's blamed. We don't want to be the one who goes to hell, whether that hell is on earth itself it's or jail. in the afterlife. Yes. <laughs> or just even the hell internally, right? Of feeling like we're so bad and broken that we're not good people. And when we feel like that, when we don't have people in our life bringing us back to this connection of love, then we continually kind of numb ourselves and push our emotions down and push our feelings down to try and pretend and prove that we're good so we don't get blamed because that's the foundational belief that is currently in most of our Western modern societies. And this is ridiculous. And one, I don't believe it is true at all. But aside from that, this whole idea, this whole set of ideals that we have no proof 
are actually true, just basically are constantly disturbing the peace externally mm. and internally. Mm. I just want to talk for a moment oh, yes. about the um, materialistic view. I would love of, you to do of, that, John. Of the end. Because we have this wonderful idea as well that a scientific materialist holds on to that when you die, you become nothing. So you you disappear, you vanish, you whatever happens, your body decays, the brain that used to hold your consciousness starts to disintegrate and becomes the ashes or becomes the dirt, depending on your um, chosen way of, of being dealt with as a corpse. But materialists will agree that we have energy inside of us. We have electrical signals, we have chemical signals, we have movement, we have all of these things. There's an essence of energy that exists inside of us. And for that energy to turn into nothing, that would be breaking one of the laws of thermodynamics, that Mainstream energy science. cannot be destroyed. So the fact that that rule exists, that energy cannot be destroyed, it fundamentally proves that a materialist who believes in stuff and things in the fact that this is all if you is. can see it, you can <clears throat> touch it, that's all there is, that a materialist fundamentally cannot believe in nothing. So then when you die, you're going to something that you don't believe in, which is nothing. So you end up stuck in a paradox. So you don't believe in life after life, whatever you want to call it, heaven, reincarnation. You don't believe in any kind of life after life, but you also don't believe in nothingness. So what is it? Where are you going or not going and how can you prove it? And it's this interesting thing that I think we are really interested in talking about is saying it is a worthwhile practice considering what you believe about death mm. and not from a kind of argumentative point of view of trying to prove a point to somebody else, but a deep internal reflection of what does death actually mean to you? How do you understand this? And cultivating or taking time to actually look at that and understand what your so-called belief system is saying about it and then filtering that through yourself to be like what do I what, what do I feel and a lot of uh, the reason that a lot of people don't do this or don't want to reflect or kind of ask these questions is because they're terrified of dying and death and grief yet if you ask them it's like oh well I'm just I'm just going to live my life that's really morbid I'm not going to focus on on death that'll just happen when it happens it's like maybe but actually by bringing your attention to your own death and to the death of everything allows you to live more abundantly in your life because you're not afraid of it. It's not this thing that's kind of hiding behind you in the dark closet and you've just kind of jammed the door shut. And it is very ignorant to say, I don't think about it because I just want to get on with my life. I'm like, but you're not because we all carry the fear of our own death because we know we're going to die. You know, we are like these incredible beings who have this incredibly complex consciousness. And from pretty much the moment we understand we're here, we know that we're going to leave. We know we're going to die. And we don't know when and we don't know how. It could be in 10 minutes. It could be in 50 years. 
It's just one breath away. It's just one breath away. Inhale, exhale. And if you don't inhale again, you die. You die. Are you ready? Mm. Because I think it takes more than not thinking about it. And we are both currently studying and learning more into the um, the Tibetan side of this in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And it's a beautiful, it's like an actual manual for understanding the in-between state, this process of dying and the the graceful, yeah, a graceful mm. ability to let go, which I feel like I've been looking for my whole life. And, you know, through the practices of yoga and meditation, when you can take yourself into these states that are not just focused on the external world, start to understand the expansiveness and the abundance that is actually exists all of the time. And it's the more I meditate, the more we practice, the more we learn these philosophies and, and different ideas, the less scared I am, you know, and I, more so was the fear was brought to my attention, the fear of death, but I've sort of always had it and been aware of it. And then it's like, oh, I can feel the expansion. And this idea that there would be some wrathful God or some punisher is like, it's laughable <laughs> because when you go into these states, there is only unconditional love. And when you attune yourself to that, you're attuning yourself to that. You are the creator yourself who can actually choose to be in these states of love and awareness. And if anything comes along that is unfamiliar or it does feel it, it invokes that sense of fear, you have the ability to say, I choose love now. I come back. I come back. I call in for help. I, I choose my heart. I choose love every time. And by doing this in our waking life, one, it opens our hearts. It mm. opens our experience, our relationships, everything we're doing in a profound way. But you are also preparing for the moment that you do die. So you don't have to die with fear, right? With the unknown of like, oh, I always thought this was nothing and I didn't think about it. And I kind of thought I wasn't going to die because so many people, the way they block this out is like, well, I'm not really going to die. And it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> Everyone else is going to die, but I'm actually the one. I'm, I'm the one. I'm secretly. the chosen one. Secretly. secretly. I'm not going to die. And it's really, it's a, it's like a beautiful uh, defense mechanism to hold this. And, you know, for a lot of people, they'll have things like near-death experiences or really close calls with death where it's like, Wow. I actually could die. <laughs> this could happen to me. Otherwise, it's just the ultimate cognitive dissonance. It's mm. the, oh, it's never going to happen to me. It's happening over there. It's not here. It's not in this country. It's not over here. It's not me. 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 It's everybody else. It's not me. Well, you joke about it. It's when people, and I see this with my grandparents all the time, be like, oh, well, you know, I'll be dead soon anyway. And it just fascinated me and really pissed me off that they would always say this. So I was like, why would you keep saying that to people who love you? Like, it was such a bizarre thing. Maybe they were trying to teach me about death. Who knows? Um, but I saw most of them die. And well, in those in those stages um, toward their death and the majority <laughs> were terrified. <laughs> and so it was this constant um, saying, and I think was actually a calling out for help of like, can someone know about into, this? The, into this dialogue with me? Can we, can we talk about it? Can we know? Um, and I remember sitting with my grandmother really you know, close before she passed and, and just, she was so scared. And I just be like, can you feel, can you feel the angels here? We're going to bring the angel. Oh, there's no angels. No one's coming for me. Now my grandmother wasn't actually religious, but she grew up in a time, right? Where this religious dogma and the, the bad judgmental God and original sin were very prevalent in her parents. I'm pretty sure we're religious. 
And um, right in the end, it suddenly all started coming out like, oh no, I haven't been good. I've sinned. I'm going to go to hell. And it was in this bizarre, like that half in and out state, but really believing that she was a bad person who was going to go to hell. And it's interesting what comes up in those, you know, last days, last weeks, mm. last moments. Um, if we haven't had awareness to kind of look at it, but could easily joke about it beforehand when she was more here, you know, more in the humanness of, well, I'm going to die soon and it all doesn't matter. But then getting closer, it was terrifying. And for us, we're like, why not talk about it now? It's such a natural part. You leave your house to go for a walk. You're surrounded by death all of the time, <laughs> you know, insects, plants. It's just all there. It's, it's, we cannot avoid death. And yet we desperately try to. And the only person it's hurting is us. I mean, we hide our corpses inside a box. That you have to pay for. And then we put that box inside the ground. And when we move the box, we move it in a black car so you can't see in. It is very much a hidden, hidden thing in the way that we have kind of designed our interesting western death ceremonies oh it's a bit messy like mm. oh don't talk about death oh, it's a it bit up. gross yeah in fact we have people whose job it is is to put makeup on the dead body to make it still look somewhat alive so that if you did have an open casket if you did look at the corpse they don't look dead so that you as the person grieving are like oh look granny's still here now let's lock her in a box <laughs> what the shit <laughs> <laughs> but and let's take Indian culture, for example, in particular parts of India, there's a there's an opportunity to to face death, to celebrate death in the fact that they wrap their corpses in Shavasana with the you know legs long and straight and and put them onto some kind of hoist that's made out of something that will burn nicely. And then they are carried to a place where they can be set on fire and pushed out into the river to be um, celebrated, to be to be one final letting go of this mm. physical body. Knowing that the spirit has already left the body, they are celebrating that person by the allowing their remains to be to be set free as well to be set yeah. free to be to be returned to the five elements mm. ashes to ashes dust to dust and all of that and then it's not hidden from the children or anybody else you know there's no shame in it there's so much shame in death you know i yeah. think in our culture it's, it's like, like a, the it's biggest a, failure it's the ultimate failure you, oh, you failed died. Oh. oh no oh you didn't even take your house or all your money with you oh dear but he was so healthy, looked after himself he was so well. So good. He just died. You're like, what a failure. It's not a failure, right? You just transitioned. And in fact, it's probably the greatest success. Like, yeah. It's very, I and mean, I just also, I think, because we say Western culture, but in New Zealand, uh, in the Maori culture, it's also different. Still, mm. you know, I remember the, one of the, the first dead body I saw was when I was 14, and one of the girls in my class uh, died. She got hit by a car, and she was Maori. And you know, the whole school went and we sat in the marae and her body was there for, what was yeah. it, a week, I think? I mean, yeah. I don't actually know much, so don't quote me on that. But um, <laughs> it was so profound for me to be able to see her and to touch her body and say goodbye and all of her friends put beautiful things around her that she loved. And, you know, it's just, it's there was time for it. There was mm. time for growth. When my grandparents have died, 
it's like a like a one hour ceremony, and then no one talks about it. Yeah. I'm like, I think oh, maybe. how are you? How's life at the moment? Are we are we going to talk about what just happened over there? Didn't we just like? I remember being like, well, I can't cry because you know it might make a scene, and just like holding my cry down. I'm like, oh, it's very British. Hold it. And I knew how detrimental it was for me to be holding my cry for my own nana. But I'm like, oh, I'm just going to, people are going to look, you know, I'm always causing too many disturbances in this family. So <laughs> don't cry. And it was so funny because about two days later, I had a girl come who used to do massage. And she's like, she didn't know that my nana had just died. She goes, do you need to have a big cry? She's like massaging behind my chest, you know, up my back. I was like, yeah, I suppressed it. She's like, man, it's really in here. It's like in your ribs and all around your heart. She's like, oh, this this might might release it all. I was like, oh, please, I stifled it. Let it out. <laughs> but it's all these things that we do to ourselves to kind of try and put ourselves in this weird box around denying one of the most natural things. Well, birth, death, you know, yeah. some life in the middle, the most natural things that happen. And in this time of, of experiencing a pandemic like this, We've got to acknowledge that this is all about death. And yet we go things like, oh, there's been another case. And everyone goes, oh, they died. You're like, no, no, someone sneezed, you know, someone's got a disease, which they'll then get well from in a few days. But we're so, so terrified of death and so terrified to talk about it that we're all just going there. We're catastrophizing it because we have fear around talking about and considering and contemplating our own death. Mm. So how do we do this? Like, What are some resources? Where can we go? How can we start to open this conversation with ourselves, first of all? so that then we can take the steps towards having conversations with other at least semi-like-minded people who are open to having this discussion. Some resources that come straight to my mind are starting to read um, things about near-death experiences. There's some absolutely magical books out there. Um, Anita Morjani, um, Dying to Live, I think is the name of the book. Mm -hmm. um, there's a wonderful author by the name of Raymond Moody, who has a number of books, um, the one that's specifically about near-death experiences and the, and the kind of glimpses of the potential beginnings of the afterlife, and that is called Life After Life, um, a wonderful... Also the documentary. Yes, a wonderful man by the name of Eben Alexander, who was a neuroscientist who studied the brain, actually got... Um, got a brain disease and his brain was officially written off. He was uh, in a effectively brain dead coma and he came back from that. And that is called Proof of Heaven. Heaven. His name, yeah, even Alexander, Proof of Heaven. Um, so these are some, some very interesting points of initiation, points of beginning to start to look at this. And then there's so much literature in the world of yoga, if you know where to look, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, um, are there any other ones that pop to your mind? That is definitely our... our... Um, no, a lot of the things we've actually, we really love watching near, or watching and reading about near-death experiences. And we use the platform Gaia.com. Um, and there's several really helpful documentaries um, around, around life after life and mm. near-death experiences and talking about this. So I think it's, it's beautiful to learn from the... Um, people's experiences of this and also yeah from more of the philosophy around it 
And I think Buddhism is where we're definitely leaned into right now. But um, I'm not sure what text you would go to from the from yogic, the Buddhist canon or from the um, yogic canon. From the yogic canon, yeah. Um, yeah, not specifically anything jumping to mind, but just the mere fact of believing in an existence beyond this life and just beginning to contemplate reincarnation as as a as a possibility rather than having a closed door mm. a closed mind to it considering <laughs> it as a as a potential because you don't have to believe anything no ever like this idea that you have to have like a solid belief is such a a weird idea yeah you can just change your mind right yeah you just you can just explore all things and it's like i don't know what i believe because none of us do like none of us know what we believe about this stuff because we're not there yet the point isn't to know 100 percent what is right or wrong the point is to cultivate enough awareness so that you can kind of melt down some of your own ice walls and resistance to to certain topics to just expand your mind and your heart in doing so, the ripple effect of this in your life is oh, like so, so profound. Oh. Yeah. And it's hard to explain because the benefits are different for everybody, like what it leads to. But there's just this expansive nature. If your world feels limited, if you don't have a sense of expansion in your world and your internal experience, then contemplating death or just starting to bring more awareness to everything in your life and where you kind of feel challenged and where you hit this resistance is such a worthwhile practice. But, you know, at the moment, it's like a global call out to say, hey, as a global community, as humanity, we have to look at death. Mm. We have to look at the quality of life. We have to look at what we value. And if we're that terrified that we keep locking countries down and locking people in their houses because we're so terrified of death that we're just going to all sit in cupboards for as long as they want us to because we, oh, someone might die. It's like, guys. We're going to die anyway. We may as well learn how to actually live and not cover our faces and put experimental drugs in us and lock ourselves up. It's like, let's actually look at different solutions that would allow us to live an abundant and vital life. Mm. Oh. Mm. Wouldn't that be joyful? I think so, John. Yes. Well, that's, um, that's us for today. That is the... <laughs> a little bit of death renting. Yeah. Got a bit deathy, but... Um, <laughs> I think you can all cope if you've listened to this point. Um, well done. Hey, just know that if it makes you feel overwhelmed talking about death, that's just you coming up against a resistance and it's okay. And do whatever you need to do to come back to a sense of safety, right? That's when we lean into the other kind of comfortable beliefs we might have to ease out and just be patient and loving with yourself because this takes time to open to and to never push anything to the point that doesn't feel safe for you. Mm. And I'm going to finish with a, a, a quote that comes to us um, via Ram Das. It's actually him quoting um, Emmanuel. And he says, death is perfectly safe. Mm. It's like taking off a tight Shoe. Mm. Now, doesn't that feel quite easeful? Mm. Oh, yeah. So, thank you again, and we will be here for another episode in the next few days. Probably real soon, you mm. know. For now, share us around on social media, 
give us a subscribe, anything you can do to share the love and keep our motivation up and we'll keep producing. Indeed. We love you all. Mm. Goodbye. The Radical Awareness Podcast.